And I always enjoy this time of year, uh, articles in the newspaper, which, um, well, we sort of describe what kids have got. And uh, there was a good one, it was last week. Uh, obviously, Prince George, his, uh, someone had snapped his, uh, you saw his list for Santa, it was just a police car, it was all he wanted. Uh, I mean, what do you, if you're a prince, was that a real one? Um, but uh, that was all he wanted. That produced or elicited other people uh, writing in what their children had asked for. So I got Kira, aged three, clear in her mind. I'd love a baby brother or a penguin. <laughs> Much the same, I guess. Uh, Max, age six, I want a box for Christmas. And I want it to be blue. Nothing on it, just blue. And I want it to fit on my head. That's it. I mean, that's, that's terrific if you're a parent, isn't it? How cheap is that? Um, you wanted to know more about this one. Mitchell, age six. Oh, dear. This year, I'm guessing I'll just get a lump of coal after the blue fish incident. <laughs> you, that was it. You, didn't, you weren't even told what the blue fish incident was. Enormously disappointing. I was sympathetic to uh, Roman, age three. I want a, ro- I want a remote-controlled car that's big enough to sit in. (laughs) And it can change into a plane, a boat, a rocket, and a helicopter. (laughs) Yeah, I want one of those too. That's fantastic, isn't it? How cool would that be? Uh, Slightly older, slightly more precocious, Lyra, age 10. I want, for Christmas, to see grown-ups in Parliament. Uh, uh, I guess if you get that as a parent, you're either very proud of your precocious child or slightly worried. Um, But uh, in one sense, I guess at Christmas time, actually, that that may be the one that's closest for many of us. Uh, We'd love some great leadership. Everyone wants that at some stage. We all dream of great leaders. And and so that's why I'd love us to look at uh, Micah chapter 5, one of our earlier readings. But it's the promise of one who'll come to rule, and he's brilliant. It's an unusual promise. We're told uh, uh, in verse 2 here, Out of you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Quite an evocative idea. Uh, this king who's uh, ruled once before and will come to rule again. It uh, gets picked up on all the Arthurian legends, comment on this. Uh, Merlin says, you must write on Arthur's gravestone, here lies Arthur, the once and future king. That's quite inspiring. This great one will come again. I don't know how much you know or how well you know your Arthurian legends. They get turned into films with some regularity. But um, if you actually take time to read, well, I don't know if you've ever read the original sort of Thomas Mallory, but um, the sort of classic 1958 T.H. White, uh, you have The Sword in the Stone is book one, and that's the one that Disney turned into a sort of sprightly film. And it is, it's a children's book. But the others in T.H. White's book, The Once and Future King, they're for adults. And essentially, it's all about Arthur's quest to move this medieval realm from a, a brutal feudal system into an enlightened government so that all the people will live wonderfully. But he finds it very hard. So he tries, first of all, chivalry. Ah, perhaps if there's just acts of generosity from knights, that will work. But it doesn't work, it doesn't change anyone. 
So he tries quests. Let's all go on a religious quest. Let's try and find the, uh, uh, whatever it may be, the, the, the cup um, and all sorts of things. They go on quests. That doesn't work. Finally, ahead of his time, he tries the rule of law. Let's just try and get the most impressive body of law that we can ever get. But none of these things prevent Camelot from sliding into decadence, sliding into immorality, sliding into selfishness. And of course, at the end, he's, he can't do anything. He's paralyzed by the rule of law. He wants to save his best friend and he wants to save his wife, but they're in love. And so Lancelot and Guinevere, he sentenced them to death and it all ends very badly. So in the end, it's a very miserable book. Um, but with hope. At the end, says Merlin, he'll come again. He'll come again. Well, Arthur is not able to save his people from themselves. It's the story of the once and future king. But here in Micah 5 is the promise of a ruler who can save people in every sense of the word. Let me just give you some very brief context. Uh, Micah's writing in the uh, end of the 8th century, so he's a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah. He's writing around 730 to about 700 BC. We know that. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us who's reigning on the throne. So we know it's 700 plus uh, years ago. And uh, the nation at that point is in a terrible state. Uh, Two big issues, corruption and invasion. Uh, So it's a corrupt nation. Uh, particularly the, the, the wealthy are just stealing property, stealing land from the, uh, from the poorest. And society. You're slightly thinking Zimbabwe under Mugabe in the last few years. It's, it's, it's a, a corrupt regime. That's a big problem. And there's also invasion. The, the superpower region is Assyria and is going to invade. And that's what is being spoken of here in chapter 5, verse 1. A siege is laid against us. Yes, that's going on. And King Hezekiah was on the throne. He's about to get a slap. Uh, that is, uh, lots of the land is going to be taken. So it's a miserable time, uh, 700 years ago in Israel. And then the prophet says, but. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but. But. One is coming. And let me just tell you briefly about this ruler who's coming. We're told three little things, it seems to me. He humbles us. He'll protect us. And he'll bring peace. This is the perfect ruler. He'll humble us. He'll protect us. He'll bring peace. First, just the first couple of verses, uh, he'll humble us. That's the point of this contrast, the contrast really between Bethlehem, which is very unimpressive, and the ruler who's going to come, who's going to be the greatest that anyone's ever seen. So verse 2, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, will, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Now I always, I don't know about you as a child certainly, and into my adulthood I thought, well, well Bethlehem I know, I've sung about Bethlehem. This other bit, um, uh, what's that there for? And I, I genuinely thought for a number of years, the only reason they put that bit on is to, is to trip up centuries and centuries of people who give the reading at Christmas. I have heard every pronunciation possible of this word. You, Bethlehem, it's just everyone. I've never known anyone be able to speak the word. So today we're going to go for Ephrathah. I don't know if that's correct. That's just what I'm running with, okay? I genuinely thought it's there just to stitch people up. But then I realized, no, there's, there are two Bethlehems in Israel. There's Bethlehem, and there's Bethlehem in Zebulun. And so you have to distinguish between them. And the point is, both of them are armpits, really. They're very unimpressive towns. When we're told here, though, you're small, it's not a word that means 
physically small. It's not a word, it's not an adjective of size, but of quality. You're pathetic. You're despised. Now, were they going to sing in the first century? Yes, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. But I'd despair if I moved there. In fact, I'd rather die. That's what they'd be singing. (laughs) Something like that. Because it's a horrible town. No one wants to go there. It's totally unimpressive. You know, in the UK, every year, the website I Live Here produces its uh, or compiles uh, its list of the worst places to live in the UK. Do you want to know what they are? You can look it up. No, seriously, you can. Look it up. Uh, although I could let you know with a hint. Number three this year was Luton. Number two, Hull. Number one, Dover is the worst place apparently to live in the UK. But this is worse, Bethlehem. No one wants to go there. And so the point is, it's to this despised, mocked, ridiculed town. The butt of every stand-up comedian's jokes is Bethlehem. That's where the rule is going to come. That's where the greatest rule of the world has ever seen is going to come from. It's a bizarre contrast. And why so? Well, the promised Messiah will come to a place that we would never choose or expect. So that no one can boast. God's ruler turns our pride upside down. So no one could boast in Israel... Oh yeah, yes. Uh, uh, the Messiah, this is the promise. The Messiah. He, he chose to uh, to be born in our great city. No, he didn't. He chose to come to Bethlehem. Oh yeah, he uh, he chose to be born in my hotel. You know, no, he didn't. No one gave him room at all. And when he grows up, no one can say, "Oh yeah, well, I, I taught him how to preach." You know, I, you know, Jesus quite good. Uh, quite a few. You know, I gave him one or two of his lines. No one can say that. No one did that. He was a carpenter, and no one could say. Oh yes, Jesus showed me how I could achieve heaven. Because no one can do that. The essence of Jesus' message is no one, can, no one can reach up and achieve heaven. You, you have to receive it as a gift from God himself. No one's good enough. No one can achieve it. And yet that is a truth we find breathtakingly hard to really get. No one in this room, not me, not you, no one in this room deserves heaven. So hard to get our heads around that because we think we're good. I recently spoke at a funeral of a 16-year-old boy. He and his family were all Christians and after affirming very strongly that he was in heaven, We could be absolutely certain of that. I did include the line, of course, Charlie didn't deserve to go to heaven. And nor do you. And nor do I. Now afterwards, lots of people said to the parents, weren't you offended by that? No. No, it's just what Jesus has always taught. And actually, it's wonderfully liberating. If you think you have to achieve heaven, there's always that question in your head, uh, have I got enough? Have I done enough? Is my pass mark high enough? Uh, oh, not so good today. Better do better tomorrow. Better not die today because I haven't had such a good day. Uh, there's a certain anxiety. If you know it's a gift, just given. Wonderful. But it is humbling to know that we can't achieve it. All credit goes to God. It's, a, it's an offensive message, I guess, to those who think they're, they're moral and do deserve heaven. No, you don't. 
But it's a wonderful message to those who are honest enough to say, look, I've got some problems. I get angry. I get upset. I have insecurities. I'm unkind. Oh, well, know that heaven is a gift if you trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why God sent this Messiah to Bethlehem, the most unlikely place. And that's why, verse 3, Israel was abandoned for 700 years. 700 years they had to wait. Just so when the Messiah finally came, they knew, oh, we'd never do it ourselves. Now, this king comes to humble us. And then second little thing to say, look, he'll protect us. And in one sense, this is the bulk of the passage, I think. Uh, let's look at them quickly. He'll protect us, verse 4. This one will come. He'll stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. A few things to say. He'll stand. That is, he'll endure. He'll always be there. Other leaders come and go. Uh, we have a prime minister. We're not certain she's going to stand tomorrow. We think she'll probably be there tomorrow. But at uh, the new year, who can tell? A few months' time, well, uh, two years' time. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, but um, this one will stand. Always stand. We have an extraordinary monarch. Extraordinary the reign of Elizabeth II. But there will be enormous mourning, for she will die at some point. I mean, overwhelmingly the country will be distraught. This sort of figure of stability that's just been there in the background of all the chaos of our lives. And she will go. But this one stands. He stands forever. He'll shepherd, we're told. He'll stand and shepherd his flock. That is, he provides all that's needed. He proactively leads his people where they need to go. doesn't always feel that way. But he's a shepherd you can trust. He does his shepherding in the strength of the Lord. I mean, if you've read through the whole book of Micah, that's quite impressive. Chapter one, we're told that the Lord is coming, the mountains melt beneath him, the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. That's quite impressive. This that a, a mountain would just melt away before you. You, you, you split a valley. Next time you go skiing, perhaps, you can just try. Try, try melting the mountain. Um, you know, good luck on, on, on that front. It may well melt. You know, global warming, etc., etc. It's never quite as good in the Alps as it used to be. I know, I know. But you're not going to make it melt. Metaphors, of course, but say, here's one who's very powerful. And this ruler comes with extraordinary strength. He'll stand he'll shepherd. I guess above all the point is he'll keep his people secure, is what it says. They, his people, will live securely because his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Do you see the happy little story in the paper this week? Um, A pensioner uh, had uh, gone out to do all of her Christmas shopping so uh, being of a generation that uh, doesn't really like cards or uh, certainly doesn't tap to pay for anything, had it all in cash. And so she went out to do her Christmas shopping and uh, uh, in the high street, uh, someone snatched her bag and ran off with it, of this uh, 80-year-old woman. And then Damien Mendica, he and his wife, his wife said, oh, did you see that? He said, Go get him. And uh, Damien went, yeah. And um, Bolkett just, just charged after this guy, rugby tackled him to the ground, got the handbag back, gave him uh, something to remember him by, and, um, uh, and then returned the handbag uh, to, uh, to the pensioner, who was just 
thrilled. I mean, she was completely shaken up in shock. But she said, oh, I'm so grateful. I was going to do all my shopping. Look, I've got two and a half thousand pounds in here. Uh, uh, and then uh, 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 Damien and his wife, they took her home, had a cup of tea with her. And of course, the paper picked up on this story and he said, he was my hero. Well, of course he was. And wouldn't every pensioner love someone like that at her shoulder to keep her secure? Well, here's a promise. It's a promise of the future, of course. It's a promise when this one, when his greatness has reached the ends of the earth, there's absolute safety. Until then, there's no promise that every Christian lives in safety. But he'll keep them until that day, until this better future. So look, here's this ruler. He'll humble us. He'll protect us. Uh, Last little thing. He'll bring us peace, verse 5. Micah tells the people then, he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. Peace. Peace in two senses this one will bring. There's the obvious sense, military peace. Israel's facing invasion. Uh, and of course, it's a, it's a final peace. It, just in the chapter earlier, is the little famous section often gets read on Remembrance Sunday, where Micah says that when this ruler comes, this Messiah, he will settle disputes and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There's peace. Now that's a very difficult thing to bring. Whatever you make of the declaration that the US is going to move its embassy to, uh, to Jerusalem, whatever you make of that, at the most basic level it reveals, peace is complicated. But this one will bring peace perfectly across the globe. So there's that sort of sense of physical peace. But also, I guess, Micah goes on to say there's peace with God as well. That's where he finishes his prophecy in the next chapters, in chapter 7. So Micah can say, Who is a God like you, Lord, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions? You do not stay angry forever. You delight to show mercy that brings peace. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions? Wonderful. Promise is that a king will come, a ruler will come, who brings peace. Yeah, peace on this earth, peace between humans, peace between mankind, but peace also between men and God because supremely this one came so that we could be forgiven. And that's why this one, this ruler, when he came, he came to Bethlehem, but he grew up and became a man who died so that we could be forgiven. Because it's quite hard to get your head around that. Sometimes people say, well, why can't God just forgive us? I mean, we've all done things wrong, I get that. But why can't God forgive us? Well, he can, but there's always a cost to forgiveness. It isn't free. There's always a cost. This is last year's story, but I don't know if you read um, the story of Alan and Maureen Greaves. It was a couple of years ago now that uh, uh, Alan was an organist at his local church and on Christmas Eve he went out to play the organ at midnight mass about quarter two. He he set off from his house just a few minutes down the road and two young lads in their 20s who lived on his street and knew Alan attacked him. They'd had a load of drinks, they were in high spirits and they attacked him and they beat him and he died the next day. I mean, utterly senseless. The following year, last year, uh, there was a service just before that on, um, of Midnight Mass. 
So Maureen had asked, can we have a service of remembrance for, for Alan? Uh, and I want to lead the whole community uh, and the whole church in particular. I want to lead us in prayer. And I want to lead us in prayers of forgiveness for the two boys who killed my husband. Can we do that? And of course, the papers picked up on that one again. She was asked about this and she said, yes, I've forgiven them. They're not caricatures, you know. They're real men. I've known them for years. They're not pure evil. But look, don't think I didn't want them punished. I did. And I'm glad they've gone to prison. Yet for myself, when I held my dying husband's hand, I started to pray to God. Yes, I believe I can talk to God. I believe he's my father and I believe he hears me. But as I was praying, it struck me that it was Christmas Day now the day that the Saviour was born. And it struck me that I could forgive them because I know forgiveness. She went on to say, you do realise, don't you, that we're in the same boat as those two killers. None of us are perfect. We all have our flaws. Oh, yes, of course, they had an unusual moment of madness. But they're not so different from you and me. It's an extraordinary statement. But she's also recognising a difference between uh, the cost emotionally of forgiveness and a penal cost of forgiveness. So she could say, look, I found it emotionally to not dwell on it, to not hate them. In fact, I visited them in prison and told them so. I, I forgive them. But there must be a penalty that's just the way our country works and if there is no penalty for murder we're in a shocking state so I can forgive them emotionally but there's a penal forgiveness that's different they need to pay that there's a cost to forgiveness this ruler when he comes this promised one he does both God himself comes down in the man Jesus Christ and says, I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to forgive this world that's at war with one another. My creatures who refuse to recognize me, I'm willing to forgive. And I'll pay. I'll take the penal cost. I'll die a death as a substitute for all you've done wrong. He's willing to pay both. And that's how we can have peace. So here we have it, 700 BC or around about then. Uh, here's a promised ruler coming to Bethlehem. <laughs> and um, he'll humble us. You have to admit you need him. The proud won't want him. Not interested. He'll protect us. Oh, in the future, there's a wonderful world awaiting. But in the meantime, he'll, he'll keep you safe till you get there. Supremely, he'll bring peace. Here's a promised ruler. Here's the once and future king. But can I just say as we finish, he's not King Arthur. King Arthur's a legend. This one is true. That's where you get it. 700 BC, this prophecy is made. And then we had read Luke chapter 2. He comes to Bethlehem. And if you read elsewhere in the New Testament, you, you'll see so John chapter 7 is one example. All the Jews are going, what, so this, this preacher man, Jesus, who's healing people, he, he was born in Bethlehem. Well, like Micah said, 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a minute. That's pretty big news. Yeah. Can I say, if you understand just that chronology, 700 BC, one will come, a ruler, to Bethlehem, the most unlikely places. He'll grow up and live in Galilee, again, a pretty unlikely place. He will do extraordinary miracles. He will die a sacrificial death. All these things prophesy years in advance. You've got to take that seriously. No one today could make predictions and be certain they come true 700 years later. Unless it's true. But people often don't engage. Did you see this one uh, last week? Here's a little photo for you, just as we finish. This was, um, can you see that? It's a removal company, truck, called Home Bargains. Ooh. And uh, uh, someone, he's just driven under a, a low bridge and uh, got stuck. It was in Dudley, uh, uh, Birmingham Way. And uh, I'm not sure how much of a bargain it is if all your furniture gets uh, smashed and crushed like that. You, and you, you read that and you can imagine the two lads, the removal company, in the cab. Can you imagine the sort of conversation they're having? Uh, the passenger says to the driver, oh, look, there's a low bridge coming up. Did you see the sign? Was there a sign? Yeah, there was a sign saying uh, low bridge and we're a high vehicle. Oh, that's interesting. No, no, no. Are you, are you going to change direction? Nah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And, and yet all the time, I have conversations with people. You, you do know that the arrival of Jesus was predicted hundreds of years in advance. Oh, was it? Yeah. And he says the only way to get to heaven is to trust in him. Oh, does he? Are you going to engage with or think about it? Nah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. No, I don't want to be rude. But a refusal to engage with a, an issue that serious, where you spend your eternity, when there's this sort of level of prediction and fulfillment, I don't get it. I, just, I don't get it, really, if I'm honest. Why would you not? I guess, oh, it's busy, isn't it? I'm listening to music. Oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. No. No, at some point there's a reckoning. Please, would you engage? It's a serious claim that Jesus makes. So we should take it seriously. And then lastly, for us who are Christians here today, let Micah 5 encourage you. God keeps his promises. And some of us need to know that and need to hear it when we're struggling a little bit. God keeps his promises. All right, this one took 700 years and you and I are not going to wait 700 years for anything. I know. But he keeps his promises to protect. He's strong enough to do that. We waited 700 years for this one. We've got 2,000 years since Jesus came the first time. But he is coming back. He is the real once and future king. He humbles us. He protects us. He brings us peace. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you that you didn't want to leave us in doubt about the significance of the arrival of this baby. Father, thank you that uh, centuries before the arrival of Jesus Christ, you predicted he would come, where he would come, what he would do. 
so that we could be certain that this is true. So Father, would we once again, for for those of us for whom this is very familiar, be delighted that you're the God who keeps his promises. For others of us, if we've never engaged with this, would we see that it's daft not to? And Father, would all of us see how wonderful a ruler this one is? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.